I, I find the book of Psalms very refreshing. Anyone? Okay? I find it refreshing because it's genuine. I find that it's real. I find that um, if you've ever wondered to yourself if it's okay to feel bad about things or to be angry or to be upset or to, you know, just in general uh, voice your times where you're just not feeling good, you know, the Psalms tell us refreshingly that it's okay sometimes to feel that way. You see, the writers of the Psalms didn't hold back their hearts, and we hear the writers' true feelings throughout the Psalms, sometimes even when they get uncomfortable. And so I've always liked the richness of the Psalms. I've always liked that um, there's just a genuine and just something real behind each one of these. And so we're in Psalm 37 tonight. Context always matters when you look at the Psalms. Uh, Wisdom always matters because I know we often think of Proverbs as the wisdom book, but I think the book of Psalms has a lot of wisdom for us today and which we can apply to our lives. And uh, how we can apply these things today, I think, also matters to us. And so... Um, let me start by asking you a question. Have you ever been in an environment where you felt like things weren't fair? Anyone? All right. You've been in an environment where you felt things weren't fair. You know, I think if you were to enter an elementary school and maybe spend two hours there, uh, likely the younger grades, I bet you you would hear this from somebody. That's not fair, right? Um, Typically, we learn that from a young age. There's supposed to be a process in which you get what's yours, people get what's theirs, and there's fairness happening. But when things aren't fair, we don't feel very good about it. In fact, we can get angry, we can get upset, we could act out in rage. We can do all sorts of things. How do you usually fair, feel um, when you encounter something in life that isn't fair? You see, I think it's easy for us to look around at the world sometimes and think to ourselves, what's going on here? Anyone ever thought that before? Anyone ever looked at the state of the world and just thought to yourself, everything seems so dark? Um, you know, if, if, if you'd never felt this way, here's my challenge to you. Watch the 6 o'clock news every day this week, okay? And uh, take a notepad with you and write down all the stories you hear, okay? And, and then go over that throughout the week. And, and I think by time you do that for a week, you're probably going to have this idea of, like, things just don't seem right. It's not fair. What's going on? Why does it seem like evil is winning and the way of righteousness is very seldomly seen or celebrated. Um, It's easy to develop that kind of attitude when you look at what's happening around us. You you see, um, and that's what's happening in Psalm 37. That sets the context for what we're looking at in this psalm. The psalmist is writing this, David is writing this in a time where things just don't look fair. It seems like all the evil people, all the wicked people, as the psalmist would say, are getting away with things. They seem to be getting rewarded. They seem to be living their best life now. While everyone else who's righteous doesn't seem to be enjoying any of that. And I think when we look around our world today... If we're just honest with ourselves, we can sometimes have these kind of feelings where maybe you perhaps feel this a little bit in your heart. Even though it seems like the unrighteous are winning and enjoying success right now, the psalmist tells us don't emulate, don't envy, don't follow their behaviors. For God has a different way for you to live. And so as we look at this psalm, I think we could try to answer two questions as we read Psalm 37. Number one, here's a question I thought of when I was reading through this. Is God in control? 
Or maybe I could phrase it this way from the New Testament. Is Jesus truly Lord? That's a question we can look at as we look at Psalm 37. The second question we can look at is this. Is God faithful to you? Does he look after his children? And so I'm not going to read the whole psalm today because there's 40 verses there, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read some select verses from this. I encourage you to spend some time in it throughout the week. And uh, if you want to read it all, I encourage you to do that. In fact, I want you to do that. But let's look at a few verses that we see in Psalm 37, starting at verses 1 and 2. The psalmist writes this. David writes, Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for like grass... They soon fade away like spring flowers. They soon wither. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. So we're, we're reading a lot about what's happening in the earth and in the land at the time. Psalm 37, 10 says this. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Psalm 37, verse 20. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. That is strong language. Would you agree? Um, Finally, Psalm 37, 23, 24 says this. For the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And so we're painting this picture here that it seems like the wicked or those who don't follow God seem to be, um, according to this writer, getting away with some of this. But look how he keeps coming back to God. You see, living in a world where it seems like evil and selfishness wins can be tiring. It can be tiring living in such a world. You can get frustrated. It can get annoying. And in living in such a world, you kind of have two choices as to what you're going to do. A, or the first choice, you could either be bitter, angry, and lose hope because of what you see happening in the world today. You can check out in some sense and just give up. You could just allow cynicism to creep in and just be cynical about everything. You could just walk around and, oh, this world, oh my goodness, those leaders, oh my gosh. Everything I see around me just seems so contrary to God's ways. And, and, and if you want to, you can get in, give into cynicism, you can lose hope, you can give up. Or, here's the second option. You can trust that even in the midst of all that is happening around us today, that God is still good. Amen? That God is still in control. And that in the end, God's got this. God's got this sorted out. God will make things right in the end. You see, Psalm 37 doesn't offer any immediate remedy to evil in this world. Um, Only God can and will get things right one day. But Psalm 37 does teach us how to live and how to conduct ourselves in 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 a world like this. In the midst of all this, David gives some key advice for how people are supposed to live, for how they're supposed to conduct themselves, even when they look around at the world and think, what is happening? What's going on? Why does it seem like evil's winning the day? 
And so I think David in Psalm 37 gives us some instructions on how to live in a broken world. What are some ways in which we can live when everything around us seems like chaos? Well, let's look at a few verses um, that teach us this. Psalm 37, uh, verse 3 to 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so what does it mean to trust God? What is he getting at when he's saying to trust God? Well, trusting God means that you're not just going to trust in yourself. That you're not going to trust in your natural uh, reactions towards things. That you're not simply going to follow your natural impulses, but that you're going to trust that God's ways are better and higher and greater than any of our ways. In in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, we read this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You see... Trusting in the Lord, trusting in God means that I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to try to necessarily figure out why things look so chaotic in the world around me. But you know what I'm going to do? In all my ways, I'm going to submit to him and allow him to lead me and allow him to direct my paths. That's what I think trusting in the Lord for us today looks like. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord. Um, if we just go back to that last scripture, I know I'm messing you up here, but uh, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, as you delight yourself in God, you, I, I, I believe as you do this, you start to want what he wants. You start to desire more what he desires. You start to care about more what God cares about. And he transforms us from merely living me-centered into kingdom-centered or into others-centered. Are you with me? It, it, It changes our hearts as we delight ourselves in him. You know, we could take this verse, I think, and we could absolutely skew it. And we could absolutely use it for our own benefits. We could start saying things like, you know, that that Ferrari you wanted, delight yourself in God, right? He'll give it to you quickly, right? That million bucks, you know, just delight yourself in him. That's the desire of your heart. And we, we we can make it about us. We can make it about our benefit. But I think if we look closely at what the psalmist is writing here in this verse, he's telling us, delight ourselves in God. And as you do so, you're going to get the desire of your heart. Because the closer you get to him, the closer you are to him, the more you care about what he cares about. Amen? The more you love what he loves, the more you are for what he is for. And you find that the desire of your heart becomes not simply about what you can get, but about pleasing him and loving him. And as you delight yourself in him, I believe God rewards us with just that, that we get more of him. Amen? Psalm 37, verse 5 to 7 says this. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out 
evil schemes. So there's this phrase at the beginning, commit your way to the Lord. I'm going to argue that we live in a society that is often careful about committing to too much. Are you with me? Okay. We're sometimes a little bit hesitant about committing, whether it's big things or sometimes little things. Like what if I was going to say to you, who can be here next Saturday at 6 a.m.? To help us shovel a bunch of stuff. A lot of us are going to be like, wow, that's a good idea. If I have time, I'll be there. But to commit, right? I don't know. That's kind of difficult for me. I don't want to commit. You see, commitment, I think, sometimes can feel tough on us because it kind of feels like you locked in, if I could say it like that. Or to borrow a phrase from culture, it's, it, it, it sounds like something set in stone. Like, this is what I'm doing. I've committed to this. I'm in. You can count on me. This is what I'm doing. And you see... The, the scriptures tell us to commit your way to the Lord. Commit yourself. Be committed. Be all in. You see, God doesn't just want us to like him or to appreciate him. He wants us, obviously, he wants us to do those things. But he asks us for more. He asks us to commit ourselves to him. To commit your way to the Lord is to reject the systems and ways of the world that we live in and decide that we want to follow him and his ways and what he has for us. It's to take the narrow path, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Yes, It's to you know, decide that you're going to follow him. You're going to follow his ways. And oftentimes it's costly. And it costs us something. But the psalmist says, how can we live in a broken world? Well, you know, we delight ourselves in him, but we also we com- we commit ourselves to him. We're committed. We're all in. God, we want what you want. We want to follow your path. But look what the psalmist writes in verse 7. He says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. How many in this room would say to me that you're very good at being patient? Anyone? Hands flying everywhere in case you're watching on the video, okay? I'm kidding, okay? But being patient, I think, is kind of a lost art in our culture. When I was on vacation, I was in a store waiting for something. And honestly, they, did, they weren't set up very good for the amount of people who were waiting for stuff, okay? And there was this one guy in line, and he was like watching everyone, looking at everyone, talking to everyone, and he was basically saying, you know, little sly remarks. He was rolling his eyes. You could tell he was beyond getting annoyed at how long he had to wait. Eventually, he gets to the till, and I was kind of listening to him because, you know, I had to at this point just in the way he was behaving, right? And he gets there, and they start to talk. He has a bit of a dispute with something, and then he says to the person at the till, I've been waiting patiently here for 30 minutes, right? And this is what I get when I get to the till, And all I could think was, and I really had to bite my tongue, right? He was a lot bigger than me, okay? But uh, I I just want to say, you weren't patient at all. There was nothing patient about how you were. In fact, you bickered the whole time. You were upset. You were angry. You were muttering. Anyone ever order from Amazon or anything online, right? Sometimes, like, some of us are like, you know, thank God for Amazon, right? And, uh, you know, anyone ever ordered something and maybe found yourself checking your tracking number just a little too frequently, right? Just, I, see, I see some nods, actually. I appreciate that I'm not the only one here, okay? And like you're checking that thing, not because you have to be home at the time, but you're like, all right, they said two days. It's been two and a half. What's happening here? And we get impatient because our culture has taught us that things are to happen quick or to happen fast. 
You see, some of us like, you know, just wish that we get an Amazon store here because we'll be like those big cities where you get like the same day delivery, right? Some of you are excited by that. I know you are. But um, our culture teaches us that we want things quick. The art of patience is lost. Is anyone here a Rogers phone customer? Anyone? Okay, that's, that's probably too soon, right? Sorry, that was low-hanging fruit. I had to go for it, okay? But you get where I'm going with this. We have been taught to get things quick, easy, and fast in our world. The art of patience is often lost on us. Think about the culture we live in. We want our, our food fast. We want coffee instantly. We want online ordering quick. We want delivery for anything and everything. And our world teaches us that things should always happen fast and even better with minimal effort. But the scriptures seem to teach us a different way if we look at them. The scriptures seem to suggest that waiting for the Lord at times will actually require us to slow down, be still, and be patient. And I'm not always good at that. In Galatians chapter 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, and patience. Patience. I'm just going to stop there. You see, sometimes we see a list like this, and some of us can look at it and be like, well, I see that one in my life. I see that one in my life. Oh, that one's a little tougher, right? And some of us act like we can just pick ones that we want here, that God's only given us one or two of these things. And with the list of gifts, that is true. Spiritual gifts, that is true. God specifically gives gifts to each in the body. But with the fruit of the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, if the Holy Spirit's at work in my life, then I have the ability to produce all this stuff. Not because I have anything special to offer, but because the Holy Spirit produces this in you, in me. Are you with me? And so, if the Holy Spirit's in us, we have the ability to show self-control. We have the ability to have a loving attitude. We have the ability to be patient. Anyone like me and you kind of struggle with patience? <laughs> I wish it was that easy. It's easier said than done sometimes. And yet a psalm like this where David's describing the state of the world, it's going to require patience. It's going to require being still before God. It's going to require looking to him because if you start looking at everything all around you that's bad around you, you're going to get defeated pretty quick. But as we're still, as we're patient, as we commit our way to God, as we delight ourselves in him, it's amazing how he can change our lives. Amen? Psalm 37, 39 to 40 says this, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. You see, there's a way in which we live, and it's to remember that our salvation comes from him. Everything comes from him. Salvation comes from the Lord. This doesn't come from us. This isn't anything that the world can offer us. But our faith and trust is not in the systems and things of this world, but we place our faith and trust in Jesus. And in what he has done for us. You see, my salvation is never because of something I can do or things offered here on earth. But because Jesus himself went the way of the cross. 
And we can say with confidence what the psalmist says, that salvation surely comes from the Lord. God is our stronghold. He helps us and delivers us from evil. And because of that, we can take refuge in him. We can take refuge in him. Is God our refuge today? Do you find yourself returning to him when the tough times hit or, or, or when things frustrate you or when you look around and you see a world that's just less than desirable? Do you find your refuge in him? You see, in, in what ways have you perhaps taken your refuge in anything other than Jesus today is maybe another question to ask ourselves. You see, are you ever tempted when you look around at how this world seems to function, people being cheated, left out. How many of you, like every one of us has been offered an opportunity to get something stolen from us in the last year, right? Hurt for the gain of other people. Does it ever get tempting sometimes just to become self-focused and take care of yourself? Or, or look out for your own good or just for your own benefit? And forget that God has called us actually to love others, even our enemies. Which is, again, easier said than done. Maybe it's corruption in the world you see, and it rightfully angers you. I think the psalm reminds us to remember that God will judge, and God will make things right. Now, that doesn't mean you don't need to work for peace today, and that you do not need to speak out against injustice today. But at the end of the day, God will not allow evil to win. And this is the promise of what we have in the scriptures. And I believe this. Maybe it's the government and you get so annoyed at them. And it's taking up far too much of your mental space, okay? It's becoming almost obsessive. You just think about this too much and it's bothering you and it gets you down and it weighs you down. This might be a good time to remember that we were never told in the scriptures to put our hope and trust in an earthly government to begin with. Pray for those who are in places of authority, absolutely, amen? But your hope is not in what any political party decides is best, but your hope is in the truth and revelation of Jesus Christ and of what he has done for us. And he will make things right one day. Maybe you see the strong hurting and exploiting the weak, and that really bothers you. You could probably relate with the writer of this psalm. You see, we need to confront bad with good, but we do it not in the same way that the world does it, but in how Christ models for us to live. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. In Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
even in a world that seems less than fair, and at times it's sad and it's frustrating and it causes us anger, Jesus says we are still salt and light. We still represent him, and we make it our aim to represent him well, despite what is happening around us, knowing that when we do this, people can see him. People can see him through how we live. You see, I, I, I love the instruction with salt and light. I like that Jesus used the analogy of salt and light because I think sometimes in the way we live, that doesn't mean you have to go out and put a Bible right against someone's face and tell them to read, right? Don't do that, okay? If you're ever thinking of doing that. But remember that too much light can sometimes be blinding and too much salt can ruin a good recipe. You see, salt, the point of salt is to bring out flavor, you don't take a salt shaker and empty the whole thing on a steak, right? You'll ruin it. But you put a little bit on, and it brings out flavor. In the same way, light reveals what is also hidden. Both bring out the God flavors, if I could say it like that, and the reality of Jesus in the world. And so when Jesus tells us to go out and be salt and light, my encouragement is let's go out and not overwhelm, but simply live out what Jesus taught us. And that's loving him and that's loving others, amen? You see, this psalm doesn't suggest that God is just going to remove all the earth's problems and, and obstacles here at the snap of a finger. But what it does remind us is that what we see now is not permanent. God will make things right one day. And as we delight ourselves in him, as we follow him, not only can we make this place that we call earth a better place today, but we also have the hope that one day things will not be as they are right now, but they will go back to be as God originally intended them to be. And so we can answer two questions. Is God in control? Sometimes when you look around, you know, it could really shake you. It can really mess with you. You could really start to wonder, how can things be the way they are if God's supposed to be in control? And that's why I'm thankful for honest, written psalms like this. Is God in control? Well, according to this psalm, of course he is. One day he will put the earth and everything back to rights. He is coming back. He will bring judgment and reward and secondly, is God faithful to you? I think the psalm makes it clear that God's always been faithful to us. That even when it doesn't appear to be so, we can trust in him and know that he is with us. That he one day will make things right. And so my encouragement to the saints is to keep on loving him. Delight yourself in him. Commit to him, walk in his ways because this pleases him, and one day we will receive our reward. I'm gonna ask the worship team just to join me. But I'm gonna leave us with a couple of questions as we finish off talking about Psalm 37. The first one is this is how can we begin to exercise patience in a world that demands everything quick and easy and with little effort? How can we be still before God? Is this a regular practice? Is this something that we 
ever truly think about and ask help with. How can we exercise patience in a world that doesn't seem to have any? Secondly, how can we, even this summer, continue to delight ourselves in him? How much time do you spend in his word? How much time do you pray and fast and confess and do these things and just meditate upon him? How can we uh, give, give of our time, talents, treasures, and just delight ourselves in him? What are some ways you think in which God's pushing you um, in this time just to delight yourself in him? And finally, we need to commit to follow him despite what is happening all around us. Because it's not always exactly ideal. It's not always how we want to see it. And yet he is still worthy he is still on the throne. He's in control. He's faithful to us. Amen. And he will lead, guide, and direct us. Because when we do this, the scripture says, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. So let me pray for us tonight. Father, I just thank you for your word, Lord God, for the honesty written in these, in these words, God. Thank you, God, um, that even though things don't appear ideal or as we would have them in the world around us, that you're still very present here and that you're very present with each one of us. And so I pray, Lord, for anyone today who needs some encouragement, that you would encourage them. I pray, Lord, for anyone who um, just needs some help, Lord God, in exercising patience and in just delighting ourselves in you and just making time for what's important. I pray you would guide us and lead us in that. But more th most of all, God, I give thanks that you are in control. I give thanks that you are faithful. I give thanks, Lord, that uh, you love us and that you care for us and that you are always with us. And so tonight, Lord, as we just worship together, as we just look to you, speak to our hearts, God, and uh, draw us closer to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.